Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Five Things Podcast. The Five Things is a place where we go deep, super deep into five topics from social media and what it means to all of you, whether you're a brand or a marketer or just a regular old interested party. That's the five things. With me this week, some regulars. We have Amanda Davis. Hello, Amanda. Morning, Kenny. We have Beth Rawls. Hey, Beth. Hey, Kenny. And we've got Joey in the booth. All right, let's dive in. We're going to kick off with Twitter announcing paid super follows. Then we're going to talk about Twitter adding Twemojis to fleets. Twitter testing safety mode. Facebook launching the Bars app. And then we're going to end with a little deep fake tomfoolery. And you'll get why that's funny when we get to the end. All right, so with that, We're going to kick off with Twitter announcing paid super follows. This is quite interesting and something I never thought we'd actually see on Twitter, which is a feature that allows Twitter users to charge followers and give them access to extra content. It could be anything from a bonus tweet to or access to a community group, maybe a subscription to a newsletter. Maybe it could be a badge indicating some level of support. Uh, But this is a low fee follower payment that allows for you to get access to content. I think it's very, very interesting. Um, It's designed to help sort of the upper tier of Twitter creators and personalities to monetize uh, their their following a bit, which I think is very interesting. Um, It feels a little bit like the rich getting richer uh, in my opinion, um, because those people who have big followings are already finding ways to monetize it. So now Twitter is just giving them a way to continue to do it. Um, there's also the notion here that Twitter is probably going to take a cut. So it becomes a new monetization, uh, opportunity for Twitter. But overall, um, I think this is designed to take on Facebook groups and, and really pull people in to Twitter more knowing that they can monetize it more quickly. Um, and very interesting. I don't know, are brands going to start to monetize this as well? Like, is that, could that be part of this? Uh, becomes a new stream. Uh, I don't know, Amanda, Beth, what do we think? I think this is interesting. And I mean, thinking about it more, like thinking of like Patreon and those other kind of platforms where I, I guess you could say long form or more involved content is behind a paywall. It's not dissimilar to, you know, a Twitch subscriber. It's a couple of dollars here and there. I support what you're doing. I know it takes time out of your day. So theoretically, like, I think it makes sense. I don't know if Twitter's the platform that is going to use it the most because to that point, I feel like people use Twitter in kind of a more fleeting thought way versus deep thought leadership kind of involved video content or other content that's being made. I think it will be interesting in the grand scheme of social channels of how this is utilized. I just think it'll probably be a slow adoption on Twitter specifically. Yeah, I'm I'm like mixed on this one. I feel like it's nice to have, to give power to the creators and have them, you know, reap rewards for all of the content that they do put out there that we engage with. But there is for some reason something that feels a little icky about this. And I don't know if it's, the platform. I don't know if it's like, what's the motive behind this? Is it that they want to keep content creators creating on Twitter? Um, or, and 
the branded piece of it, it's like, there's, I think, a huge opportunity for how we interact with influencers on the platform through this means, but I don't know how I feel yet. Uh, here's what I, I'll take on it. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. Here's what I think about it. That makes more sense. Um, what Over the course of COVID and the quarantine, Twitter has really had a resurgence and people are spending a lot of time on there actually creating much deeper thoughts and, and longer form content through threads. Uh, with the rise of spaces, I think there's a little bit more dialogue happening. And what I think is interesting is if everybody on the platform has access to it versus just a select few. Because when you make it a select few, I think you're you're removing the beauty of Twitter, which was the democratization of the chance that anyone could see anything and it could go huge. Uh, I, I love that every single platform over the course of the last year has doubled down on the creator community. No question. You know, whether it's the rise of, uh, you know, funded creator incubators or it's something like this where people are being rewarded for creating content. I think that is, it is good. Uh, I, I do think that limiting it to people with a blue check mark just reinforces almost like a class system that exists on Twitter, which I think actually diminishes the platform a bit. Uh, the cool thing about Twitter, uh, what I used to love about Twitter was that you could say something that lives at the intersection of culture and behavior, and it could be shared by anyone at any time and generate huge responses. Um, so to me, the, you, I love the, the Patreon uh, metaphor is right, but the cool thing about Patreon is that anyone can create it. And I, I actually didn't realize, I, now that you mentioned it, I didn't realize it was only available to a few select people. And I think the issue besides what you're saying of kind of upholding this this class system is that Twitter holds the keys to the algorithm that supports the class system. So if there's a transparency around how the algorithm works, whether it favors certain accounts to others, like I think most algorithms at this point are probably a little untrustworthy to the creators. So not only are you creating this rise of like a mega thought leader on Twitter, but you're also not helping smaller creators monetize or figure out how to get their content out there. So it's not only is it an unfair system, but it's an unfair system that only Twitter can control. It's not even it's not even like an open source function. So not the best. For the consumers, it's like, you know, the pay to play part of it in a platform where that has always been more equal in terms of everyone has accessibility to the same content. Feels it's, a little meh. Yeah, I just think Twitter's having a moment right now. A, you know, from Black Lives Matter and the role that Twitter played in helping to foster and grow a movement to the impact of Twitter on the election and the post-election response with everything that happened on January 6th to a post-inauguration world and a COVID vaccination world where Twitter is playing a massive role in the day-to-day -day lives of people. And I think they're taking advantage of the moment by creating products that they think will help continue to monetize the platform. It makes sense. They're ha they, you know, I distinctly remember a world three years ago where people were like, Twitter's dead. They can't monetize. They've no, the ad network is not as robust as Facebook and Instagram. It's not as strong as YouTube pre-roll or mid-roll. Like it is, it was second, 
third tier level social networking. And now it's like, it's top, it's the top of the cake. Uh, and it's just kind of, it's just fascinating to me. And I think this is not unexpected, but it will say a lot about the platform based on who has access to this. Uh, let's stay on Twitter a little bit. And another new product launch was Fleets. And it looks like now Twitter's adding this notion of Twemojis. So name aside, Amanda, what's going on with Twemojis? That's what I don't like that word. I'll use it. Not my favorite. So if you'll remember, Twitter launched Fleets, which is basically Instagram stories, which is basically Snapchat stories. So this week they've um, expanded, I guess, the creator tools for users who are, you know, making Fleets content in the app. You can now add stickers or what they're calling emojis, which you can imagine is an emoji on Twitter. Um, and you can, you know, add these on top of your photo or video stories. It's a very similar functionality to what Instagram already does, except it's still a little bit more lo-fi. Um, doesn't really bring a different chance to create something on the platform yet. So, I mean, overall, this... I think leads us to believe that Twitter is going to extend fleets and create more functionality. To your point, Kenny, they're trying to get creators on the platform, I'm sure, using the creator tools, especially considering, you know, they're adding in this this audio space, spaces, this audio format. So is there a world in which these kind of come together? And to your point, Kenny, like about how Twitter's changed and kind of regarded differently, this actually made me like these functions. And, you know, we talked about these features added each week. It starts to remind me of like the streaming wars where, you know, five years ago, you had all of these platforms offering really similar content and functionality and format between Netflix, Hulu, Apple TV, et cetera. And it was a big question mark of, you know, things start to splinter out and become everybody's on different platforms using different things, but kind of doing the same thing and talking to the same people. So I'm curious if this is going to keep splintering out or if there will be a little bit of a return to simplification. If one platform wins out, like Hulu used to be the kind of, why would I use Hulu when I have Netflix? And now they're one of the top performers. So this is a, an update for the platform that's interesting and gives us a peek into, you know, where Twitter's focused. I just, I think it's a little bit still a long game and it's it's very early days to say if this is going to be incredibly successful or if people are going to use fleets regularly. It's It's too soon to say. So coming off of when Instagram went from the in-feed and nine-tile world into stories, everyone was hesitant. Everyone was like, what is this? I am not doing this. This is not a thing. It is now, People are spending more time on stories than they are in-feed at any given point. And I think Twitter has the added benefit of learning about the transition from in-feed to to the stories like feature. Um, that's the first thing. I think the Twitter, whether it's Twemojis or fleets themselves, Twitter is watching the roadmap of Instagram stories and able to avoid the same mistakes that Instagram did. So they're reducing their development time to create something that's right for their platform. Uh, in a lot of ways, Twitter is taking a page out of Facebook's book and, uh, you know, sort of just copying and evolving, right? Um, this to me is not some sort of earth shattering update. It just shows that Twitter realizes that they are in a moment and they need to evolve and they're going to continue to evolve and create opportunities for branded inter interaction and branded investment and whatever it might be. Um, I don't know if they're like 
data implications or marketing implications to this. Uh, but to me, it's just like they're continuing to evolve it so creators can make. Yeah, it feels like the only kind of implication for marketing is there's another place to show up with in social. You know, we have to now have a story for multiple platforms. <laughs> Lots of assets. I think it's also, I mean, kudos to Twitter on to this and the point we were talking about before on like just experimenting. I think like we talk about it a lot of like there's a lot of copycatting. And at the same time, if Twitter's trying to do a million different things in 2020 and 2021 just to see what sticks, like that's that's not a terrible way to approach a really crowded space like social media. I think there will be kind of strategic moves that went out and, you know, acquisitions and formats that end up in the long run being much more successful for them. But I'd rather see a platform trying lots of different things and then eventually get to a better product and, and game for the user. I would have paid to be in the room where Twemojis was decided. I just want to be a fly on the wall and listen to that conversation. I have to imagine it wasn't a room. I have to imagine it was one <laughs> person and they no longer, whatever. Um, all right. Well, uh, this episode should be called Let's Talk About Twitter. Um, which it won't be, but the, the the next thing on our list here is that Twitter tested safety mode. And Beth, why don't you tell us about that? Because it sounds interesting. It is interesting. And I think it's a good move on Twitter's part. So Twitter is planning a feature. It's It hasn't rolled out yet, but it's soon to come called safety mode. And basically what safety mode does is it lets you select toggle on safety modes that will automatically block accounts that appear to break Twitter rules and mute all accounts that may be using insults, name calling, strong language, or hateful remarks. Um, so Twitter automatically detects these accounts that might be acting abusive or spammy. And by switching on safety mode, you can limit how those accounts can engage with your content. It says for seven days, which is kind of interesting. It's like, you have to go back in every seven days and reselect safety mode. Not really sure how that works yet, but I think it's a really good move and kind of continuous with what they've been doing to try to make the platform a little less um, trolly, reduce some of the abusive behavior. Can I put this in the column of sounds good in theory, but... If you all, if you can detect these platforms and you have the ability to toggle to take them off, why not just remove them from the platform? And not give it a seven-day limit. Yeah. What is seven like, day days, limit part seven weird. days you've learned like, your lesson. Wait, <laughs> I'm just um, really confused by that. Like, what is that? I mean, Twitter over the last couple of years has made really good strides in identifying abusive comments and deleting them. I think the power of suspending an account or deleting an account is a you know it's like a heavy stick that they don't use very often um it i mean I right think i'm with you it'd be nice if like bad it just has strong consequences we but... have the ability algorithmically to tell what is spamming what is inappropriate what breaks our terms of service okay great so you can toggle them off and they can continue to shout into the ether but like I thought the whole point of having terms of service is like, if you break them, you can't be on the platform. 
Or at least in the same thing that TikTok launched a couple weeks ago in that, like, if you are flagged for these things, you're in general, your content and your comments will be limited. Like, you won't reach as many people on the platform, not just user-specific. Well, I think it is that. It's just we have to decide to (laughs) silence those people versus the platform making that I feel like there's a robot that can do it better than I could do it, but... There is a robot. It's called safety mode. They're doing it for you. (laughs) Maybe there's... Maybe this is one step in a larger plan, I hope, but it feels... You know, with any new product, it's like, is this the half beat or is this the full beat? We never know. We just guess and hope we're right. I mean, maybe it's the Pollyanna in me, but I still think that this is a nice feature and, you know, bringing a child into the world. I'm like, well, maybe we'll get closer to social media that's not going to ruin children's self-esteem and mental health. Anyway, (laughs) that's where I'm at. Well, then, on that note... We're going to move away from Twitter. We have spent a significant amount of time talking about the Blue Birdie. Uh, and I think it's time for us to go from the Blue Birdie to Big Blue and talk a little bit about Facebook launching the Bars app. Oh, I'm going to call Facebook the Big Blue from now on. Um, so Facebook's department called NPE, which is basically like an R&D team that's separate from the app. Um, they've launched a new standalone beta app called Bars. And it provides a selection of, I'm using quotes because I wouldn't use these words in real life. It provides a selection of hip hop beats that users can rap along to with vocal effects and other tools to layer in. Uh, They will be offering a lot of, I'm assuming, royalty-free tracks. There's a challenge mode where I'm laughing because I can't even imagine who's using this, but we'll get to that in a second. There's a challenge mode where users can like freestyle and challenge each other with like word cues that show up on the screen. And this all this announcement comes with the explanation that audio tools can be complicated and expensive. And, you know, to me, this sounds basically for for rap, what TikTok is for dance, like making TikTok videos like five or 10 years ago without that app would have been really hard. Um, but I don't know if this is a hot takes. I'm just going to say it. I don't see a use case for this in Facebook's world at all. Like using the TikTok example, making those videos difficult, but everybody can kind of dance or at least follow some kind of like dance move or step. I don't know that everyone, let alone a large group of people can or want to record themselves rapping. It's an interesting piece of technology that, you know, could be interesting and help democratize the music industry. I just have no idea why Facebook's yeah. <laughs> This is a half beat, in my opinion. They test apps like this all the time, and they do things like this. That's why they have that group. In my opinion, this becomes an integration. Part of IG stories. Yeah, yeah into Reels. Like, right. this just becomes an integration tool into Reels. Similarly, how Layout started off as a standalone app and now is integrated into stories and and in feed and you can lay out your photos to create collages in interesting ways so like i just even still if it's an ig story feature or a reels feature how many people are gonna use it i don't know it just still doesn't seem like a good investment of facebook's time you also have to remember global audience like it might appeal to other markets we're not the in a karaoke setting, I can see. Because yeah, we talked a couple yeah. months ago more about they've set this up as a like a hip hop creator's tool. I think if we're thinking a karaoke lens, this is a little more interesting. 
That's how I thought about yeah. it. Was in the karaoke yeah, lens, like they kind of like beats. You might be surprised how many people think they can rap, though, Amanda. True, that's true. Like, I'm self-awareness. being generous, yeah. and I. Should <laughs> yeah. um, uh, I just think the name is also pretty confusing. You know the the new app Slice that helps you get a slice of pizza. When I see bars, I think somewhere to help me figure out where to drink. Bars. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a million dollar app idea, Beth. Yeah. But if I were, but you know what? If I'm, if I'm Facebook, I'm going out and talking to creators about what types of tools they need and trying to figure out how to evolve the app to be like, I think Triller did this quite well, actually. They went to TikTok creators and they're like, what are you missing that you could, that we could make for you here? I wonder if Facebook can't get out of the way of its own hubris a little bit. And they're like, we're just going to create apps and it's going to make people love us. Um, but it's interesting. I think this is a half beat to help evolve reels, if I'm being in, completely honest. I think in the half beat, full beat step too, I'm curious. I mean, I do agree with the kind of insight, like audio tools are kind of complicated. I know our podcast producer can probably tell you that too. I'm curious if like the conversation around tw Twitter spaces, Clubhouse, like audio is a big thing. And if this is kind of intended to be more of a general audio tool, that gets me more excited. I don't know. Fr framing it as a rap tool. It's weird. It's just weird. Well, on that note, we're going to talk about something that is unbelievably fascinating, okay? There was a Tom Cruise deepfake that went viral. If you haven't seen it, you should check it out. But basically, uh, a Tom Cruise impersonator on TikTok has gone to unbelievable lengths to sort of evolve his impersonation by leveraging deepfake technology. We have talked about deepfakes on the five things before um, a long, long time ago. I think it is a very slippery slope uh, in the world of internet content. Essentially, deepfake technology can evolve any person's face and likeness and, and voice to become the face and voice of someone else. Um, I saw a deep fake video the other day where someone became Queen Elizabeth and it was like startling. Um, I think there's a lot to fear with deep fakes, you know, what the ability to put something out into the world from someone that's not actually from someone is pretty terrifying. Uh, and then, you know, there was a long, long time ago when Facebook and Instagram were first coming of age a little bit, there was the conversation about, um, you know, putting your children's face on Facebook and Instagram. Cause like what happens if someone can use that for deep fake? Like it's just pretty dangerous. Um, while an interesting piece of content, I think why people were so drawn to it and why it went viral is because of how real it looked. Uh, but this is, you know, and we've seen it with ads too. Like Hulu did some deep fake ad stuff, I think, with, you know, to try and produce during COVID in interesting ways. I think this is just a, a really interesting beat in the life of sort of technology and social media. Uh, I don't have much to say beyond that other than Amanda or Beth, maybe you have thoughts about it, but it, it, it's just, it's fascinating to me. 
fascinating, terrifying, all of the above. Um, I wonder, speaking of platforms making updates, I wonder if we'll ever get to a point where platforms are able to identify potential deep fakes before they even get out there. Be cool. Hopefully they're proactive in that too. I mean, if they can, you know, as we've been talking about in a lot of these policies, if they can detect something that's photoshopped or an image that, you know, has been altered in any way, there maybe there is already, you know, policy being made and algorithmic, you know, updates being made that captures these deep fakes. But yeah, I think this is true. Like we are at the first step of figuring out how to battle this before it, be, like these stories come up and they're always like kind of kooky and like, yikes. But like there is a real danger here that like luckily we haven't seen yet. But I, I really hope that the platforms are taking this seriously and, and getting ahead of what is the technology that stops this and alerts, you know, a user that something's not, you know, has been tampered or whatever that may be. Forget the channels. Governments should be concerned about this. Yeah. Like, it's like identity theft the next is, level. Yeah. What is stopping someone? from creating a video that looks like Joe Biden saying something that is just like absolutely horrible. Like or jumping on a video call as Amanda Davis and buying a house or something. Like I, there's so many yeah. like day-to-day -day uses of this that are just. And we don't know that any of that hasn't happened. Right. It's like, it hasn't made popular media, but who knows what's happening in like conspiracy theory chat rooms and. It's just frustrating because the way that the press is talking about it is like, this is spooky and harmless and like whatever. And it's like, check out this fun video. And it's like, no, no, no. And like, it's dangerous. This like, is yeah. dangerous. In the funny TikToks and the like places that it's come up, it's almost as a disservice to only talk about those like kind of crazy like instances because they're not scary, sure. But I, I have to imagine to your point, Beth, there have been or at least attempts to use deepfake technology in a, you know, nefarious way, it should be talked about. So it's like government, what's the policy platforms? How are we battling it? And media, how are we covering it? Like, what are we talking about? And are we really making sure people, I don't like, I don't know that a lot of people know that this technology exists in the way that it does and how realistic it is in the world. Like we understand it, we've talked about it, but like, is it a day-to-day -day, like household conversation like i'm not sure yeah i totally agree well everyone fascinating interesting don't deep fake me please <laughs> um all right well that's our show for today really grateful and appreciative to have amanda and beth with us as always so thank you amanda thank you beth uh, we are going to be back next week, as we always are. We appreciate your time. If there's anything you want to tell us, any thoughts, ideas, comments, criticisms, anything at all, you can email us at podcasts at gray.com and Joey will do his best to get back to you with something. Um, outside of that, we really appreciate your time. And as always, stay safe, stay smart, stay social. The Five Things are written and researched by Andrew Petty and Grace McDougall. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin, with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency. 
whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.